Um, my name is Camille Pozderic. I'd like to just quickly introduce myself. I know some of you, but I don't know all of you. Um, so I am the theater and public speaking teacher here at Oakcrest. Um, I'm new to Oakcrest this year. Uh, I can no longer say I'm brand new because uh, I have one semester of classes under my belt uh, and one middle school production uh, that I can check off. So I sort of feel like I have my sea legs a little bit now. A uh, little bit about me, I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, and that will always be my home. Uh, but before moving to Rockville in August, uh, I lived in Columbus, Ohio, where I was in graduate school. Uh, I teach middle school theater uh, and public speaking courses, as well as two upper school courses, um, both beginning and advanced. The advanced class is kind of interesting because every year it rotates what the topic is. Uh, it's on a three year cycle, so this year it's playwriting, next year it will be acting, and the year after that will be directing. I graduated from Emory University in 2010 with a BA in Theater Studies and Journalism, um, and after teaching elementary school for two years as a Teach for America Corps member in the Mississippi Delta, I went back to graduate school at Ohio State uh, to get my Master of Fine Arts in Acting, and now I'm here. So now that you know a little bit about me, I want to shift to my purpose today which is to talk a little bit about the nature of live theater and what it means to be involved in a theater class or a theatrical production here at Oakcrest. Uh, I especially want to highlight an idea that's really near and dear to my heart, which is the idea of using theater and more specifically uh, this concept of ensemble as a vital part of character education. So one of the concepts I usually cover in my theater classes, particularly my classes with middle schoolers, is the idea that comes, uh, is the idea of ensemble. So when you hear the word ensemble, you probably think of maybe a troupe or a group of actors or musicians who work together to create a unified piece of art. And it is that. But honestly, to me, ensemble really encompasses more than just that. Being an ensemble member in my classroom or my rehearsal room is more about empathy. It's about thinking deeply about your feelings and the feelings of your character and how to negotiate those two things in the world of the play. It means being a part of something bigger than yourself, a group of performers who are all equally committed to telling a truthful and meaningful story that is valuable to those who watch it. Being an ensemble member also means being open and being collaborative when working in a group. It means seeking to understand someone else's ambitions and their desires outside of your own and working together to create something that you both find beautiful. It means stepping outside of yourself and seeing what your other ensemble members have to offer and figuring out how to utilize each person's strengths. And perhaps most importantly, being an ensemble member means being an active participant in developing an environment where you and everyone else in that room can feel comfortable taking risks or making bold choices or even making a mistake. It means being respectful and supportive when others are performing. Because believe it or not, for a lot of my students, performing in front of everyone is actually pretty daunting. Some of them take my class not because they love theater and they really, really, really want to perform. A lot of them tell me they took my class because they sort of feel that they need to. They feel so uncomfortable being in front of a group that my class, they hope, might help them in some way to come out of their shells or 
be a little less nervous about all of those wonderful but totally looming Oakcrest milestones that actually require them to speak publicly in front of a group. So to put it kind of deeply, being an ensemble member means allowing for some kind of willingness to connect with others, to be vulnerable, and essentially to be human. Because that's really the beauty of theater, isn't it? This idea of connection. In the world right now, with the current state of technology, you could make an argument that we are more connected than we have ever been. Social media and the internet allow us to be one click away from communicating with anyone uh, on the planet, basically. And of course, that's a great thing in a lot of ways. My parents live in Louisiana, and they have three children spread across two continents, um, in Connecticut, in Maryland, and in Pereira, Colombia, in South America. And through the magic of Skype, they can chat with each of us, face to face, every single week. And it's great, it really is. But also, I think there is this pitfall we need to be aware of when it comes to communication in the digital age. My mom was recently asking me about people who I went to high school with and said something about some girl, you know, oh, you know, what's she up to now? And I was telling her, oh, yeah, she is engaged to this really great guy, and they're getting married in March, and they seem super, super happy. And she said, oh, you know, you know I'm so glad you guys are still friends. And I thought to myself, I haven't had a conversation with that girl since high school. I, I, but through her Facebook statuses, I've kind of tricked myself into thinking that we're keeping up with each other. You know, because I liked her engagement photos, which every guy looks nice in engagement photos, everyone looks happy in engagement photos, I thought that I knew what was going on in her life. Social networks can give us and our girls a skewed sense of what it means to really connect with another person. Uh, for example, um, do, do we know this term, catfish, right? Oh, okay. So there is a new definition in the Oxford English Dictionary of the word catfish. Because a catfish is actually someone who lures someone into a relationship by presenting a false sense of who they are on the internet. It is so common that it is now in the OED right after a freshwater marine fish with barbels. There is an, an, an anonymity, there we go, that's a great word. There's an anonymity of communication through a screen. It's why cyberbullying is such a problem. People send these cruel messages, but there's no true connection. They don't have to look at that person in the face and feel anything when they see what they how they respond to being sent something hurtful. They don't learn, wow, it felt bad to see how much that hurt her feelings. These impersonal connections, these word bubbles on a four-inch screen foster absolutely no empathy. This is where the importance of theater comes in. Theater challenges people to engage directly with other human beings face to face. We are required in instances as audience members, as performers, and as collaborators creating our own theater to acknowledge the humanity of another person, to attempt to see the world as they see it, and to attempt to understand emotions how they feel them. This understanding of emotions and motives through the act of performing and creating is one of the ways that theater really does help us become better people. This is because in order to really truly write and portray a character well, you have to try to understand their thought process. I would say that a lot of human conflict, especially some of the issues that I run into uh, dealing with teenage girls on a daily basis, 
tends to find its roots in misunderstanding another person's actions or not really taking the time to parse out their intentions. There is a concept I've been working on with my eighth grade class uh, called given circumstances. Given circumstances can be defined as all the situational and environmental conditions that influence a character's actions in a play. So this can be their location, their time period, and basically everything that adds up to make them the person who they are. Given circumstances are really key to being an empathetic actor because in order to figure a character out, you have to study who someone truly is, their personal history and their experiences. So for example, let's take the play Romeo and Juliet. Now, with the keen adult eye that I have now, it's pretty obvious that Juliet makes some questionable choices throughout that play. She meets a boy at a party who is the sworn mortal enemy of her family. She falls in love with him. One day later, she marries him. Then, even after he kills her cousin, she decides to drink a rather dubious potion given to her by a priest she doesn't know very well in order to fake her own death and run away with him only to discover that he's dead, and so then she kills herself. And sorry if that's a spoiler alert for anyone. <laughs> in order to play Juliet, you don't have to agree with any of her decisions, but it is imperative, imperative that you strive to understand why she made them. So let's give her another chance, shall we? We can't forget, number one, that she is 13 years old. I know I wasn't particularly rational when I was 13, especially when it came to boys. Additionally, Romeo is her first ever encounter with romantic love, an emotion that is so big and so beautiful and so terrifying that she thinks with her heart instead of her brain. We also must remember that this isn't 21st century Virginia that she's living in. It's 14th century Verona, Italy, and nearly every facet of her daily experience differs from ours. Also, lest we forget that before she drinks the friar's potion, she pleads with her father to call off the betrothal to another man, who I haven't brought up yet, Paris, who she doesn't even love. One that, if she goes through with that wedding, would make her a polygamist. After begging for her father's mercy, he responds only with curses, insults, and the threat of physical harm, saying, hang thee, young baggage, disobedient wretch. I tell thee what? Get thee to a church on Thursday, or never after look me in the face. Speak not, reply not, do not answer me. My fingers itch. Can you imagine being a 13-year-old girl hearing that from your father? By really taking a hard look at Juliet's situation and environment, we can start to understand why she feels a hasty pressure to make all these rash decisions. As a quick side note, I do think it's worth noting that the concept of given circumstances isn't about making excuses for someone's bad behavior, but it's about getting on their level and trying to understand what has shaped them, how they might be feeling, and why they might be making certain choices. Anyway, as students apply this concept in a theatrical environment, whether they're playing a character or writing a play themselves, as my playwriting students do, they're actually getting the opportunity to practice the skill of putting themselves in another person's position, allowing themselves in a very low stakes environment to temporarily put their own given circumstances aside and explore those of another person, or as Atticus Finch would put it, to climb into their skin and walk around in it. 
Additionally, they are thinking creatively from the point of view not only of their character, but of an audience member who might watch their production. What meaning will this convey to an audience? How do I elicit an emotional response from them? How do I tell the story of this character in a way that can help the audience understand something better? Next, I want to discuss the nature of being an ensemble member in collaboration. The creation and production of theater provides a rich breeding ground for building the practical skills of being, a kind, of being the kind of person that other people want to work with. In my middle school classes this semester, my students worked in small groups to write, design, and perform their own short plays. But months before we even began that assignment, we established the basic framework about what it means to be a collaborator. We began with a discussion about the differences between teamwork and collaboration. As I define them, both are essential parts of creating live theater, but both are also, and both are important and valuable to them as students and as people, but they are not the same thing. Teamwork is the delegation of tasks. You're in charge of lighting, you're in charge of writing, you're in charge of directing, you're the actor. Each person is responsible for a certain segment of the final product. Collaboration, however, is the idea of truly creating something as a group, making a cohesive end product whose creation is shared equally by all parties. Of the two, collaboration is far more difficult. In addition to doing all the imaginative work we've already established, trying to convey meaning, tell truthful stories, and understanding motivation and emotion, theatrical collaborators must navigate the muddy waters of functioning within group dynamics, making decisions, and compromising with one another. There are two main mantras of collaboration in my classroom. Everyone speaks and no bad ideas. These require each person to contribute and ensure that no one feels their voice is ignored or their ideas shot down. Since collaboration distributes the onus of creation equally on all of its participants, it forces ensemble members to take a step back and really analyze how they interact with others in the creative process. Those who like to take the lead must take moments to allow themselves to not be in charge. And those who feel more comfortable as followers are required to state opinions and help make choices that they think will best serve the group. Collaboration in this way requires students not only to strive to be supportive and accepting of the work of their teammates, but also introspective of their own roles within a group. I've noticed that in the collaborative process, when the final product is performed, there is a strong sense of ownership that each girl has, and an even stronger sense of fellowship amongst the team members. Now I'd like to take a step back from performance and creation of theater and focus a little bit more on an ensemble that maybe more of us find ourselves in on a regular basis. One of the aspects of theater that I emphasize in my beginning of theater arts course is that I want them to stop thinking of people involved in theater as actors or crew members. Yes, they are a large part of theater, but what makes live theater special is more than just the show. It's the show and the people who come to see it. We have these two words that we often use pretty interchangeably, theater and drama. But what's interesting is that if we look at word origins, we can actually see that this, these two words represent a duality in the art form. 
and they represent one of the key relationships that builds empathy, connection, and understanding when we go and see a play. So drama comes from the Greek word drawn, which means to do, whereas theater comes from the Greek word theatron, meaning a seeing place. So theater uh, is actually a word that comes from seeing, whereas drama comes from doing. We've got these two elements here, people on stage doing and the audience seeing. Theater is built on the sacred relationship between performance and audience member. Peter Brook, um, who's a famous British director, once said the following, I can take any empty space and call it a bare stage. A man walks across this empty space while someone is watching him, and this is all that is needed for an act of theater to be engaged. Theater's simply not complete without an audience. If you've ever been in a theatrical production, you know that there's a big difference between the dress rehearsal and opening night. And that's because there are people watching and engaging and feeling along with you as a performer. There's an energy there that there wasn't there before, an electric connection. But what makes live theater special is that that electric connection is unique. And it's completely ephemeral, fleeting, transient. A certain collection of people are gathered on the stage. A different collection are gathered in the audience. The show happens. The actors and the audience react to each other in the moment, and then it's over. It can never happen again. At least, not exactly the same way, because both of the component parts are human. So as an audience member, the opportunity for connection is actually twofold. You're watching the acting ensemble, obviously, but you're also part of something much bigger. You're sharing this performance with the rest of the audience your ensemble, if you will. And even if you go back the next night, it might be totally different because the audience will have changed. The experience won't be the same. In that moment, you are forming two relationships, one with a group of people on stage and one with a group of people surrounding you. But let's go back for a second to the audience relationship with the performer. A lot of times when I'm watching a play or a musical, there is this really glorious moment of recognition, of seeing yourself reflected in the character on stage, a sense of belonging, a sense of feeling that you have this shared experience with the character and by virtue of that, the playwright. And that experience is great. It's a really obvious and frankly really easy way to get that sense of connection. But something that's not as easy but perhaps much more valuable is having the opposite experience as an audience member. Sitting in a crowd and seeing someone up on stage who is very, very different from you. A person with different fashion sense, maybe, or a different job, or a different skin color, different ideas, different core beliefs and values. There's something special about what theater can do in this instance. Theater makes this character come to life lets us into his or her existence in a way that normal day-to-day -day interaction might not. With a character's emotions palpable in the air, good live theater allows audience members to see through someone else's eyes and to acknowledge that the way we see the world might be completely different from another person. Do you have to agree with them? Of course not. 
But live theater forces audience members to grapple with new perspectives and outlooks of people that they might not otherwise encounter in their daily lives. Through a TV screen, if we don't like a character, it's easy to turn it off, disengage. But when there's a living, breathing person performing in front of you, it's a lot harder to turn away. Live theater is fantastic because it lets audience members practice those skills of empathy. We must sit in this seat and listen to others, pay attention to what they have to say. We must learn to let them into our hearts and see what we can learn from them. Mm, speaking of hearts, I wanna end my discussion of audience by mentioning a study I read about recently at University College London that has to do with heartbeats. In general, people have their own specific heartbeat, heart rhythm. Occasionally, hearts of romantic couples or particularly effective teammates will synchronize and beat in unison, which is really a lovely thing, honestly, to be so in sync with another person that your hearts literally beat as one. Well, it turns out that there is another time when heartbeats sync up. Researchers discovered that while watching a live performance, audience members' heartbeats actually become synchronized, speeding up and slowing down at the same rates. This was true of people who knew each other and came to the show together, but also for people who had no previous social connection at all. The psychologists doing the study concluded that seeing a live theater performance was so astoundingly emotionally effective that it actually overcame the specific differences in heart rhythms to produce a common biological response in its audience members. Maybe I'm just a sucker for the poetry of the whole thing, but it's hard for me to overlook the notion that live theater allows us as audience members not only to engage with the material that we're seeing up on the stage, but actually to engage physiologically, completely without our own knowing of it with everyone who is sitting in the audience with us. So to conclude, I'd like to take a moment to look forward to the next Oakcrest production, Little Women, which will be running February 23rd and 24th, and we'd love to have you all there. As rehearsals are ramping up and our lines memorize deadline swiftly approaches, it's on Monday, uh, I am seeing relationships between my cast members grow and evolve as they embrace each other as ensemble members. In a month's time, they will be stepping out onto the stage at Holy Trinity Church to tell the story. For some of them, it's their first Oakcrest performance. For others, it's the first time in roles where they have more than just a few lines. Honestly, I don't envy the butterflies that may rattle around in their stomachs on opening night, the stage fright, or that little pang of anxiety you get when you imagine blanking out in a line. And I know all of those things will happen, most likely, because truthfully, they're all part of the experience. But if I did my job right, the other, job, the other part of the experience is knowing that when those feelings arise, when doubt sets in, that they will be there backstage, surrounded by their collaborative ensemble, supporting each other, troubleshooting and problem solving, or offering a kind, calming word or a laugh in dire moments. They will be on stage with their acting ensemble, connecting deeply to the text, making thoughtful and intentional choices, and living truthfully in their characters given circumstances. And they will be on stage, being watched by an audience ensemble, with open ears, open eyes, and open mind, hearts beating in unison, 
ready to learn and ready to grow. Long after the play is over, I hope they will remember that feeling and choose to walk through life with a willingness to learn, an openness to listen, and an empathetic drive to connect with the ensemble of humanity. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was clapping for myself. <laughs> so uh, I can accept questions or we can just talk. There aren't that many of us here. So whatever, I don't know what the tip